this new church family. We're thankful that we can get to know one another, and we pray that you give us many, many years to do this. And so now, as I, um, as I teach what you've been working with me for, for years now, Lord, I pray that the message would be clear and succinct, um, but that your spirit would move something inside of us to, um, to not just be a hearer of the word, but to actually allow it to manifest itself in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It says a lot. You guys probably don't know this, but it says a lot that um, Ernie, it means a lot to me that, that Ernie Elder Furness is here. Uh, he saw me grow through all of my awkward stages in my life, um, and there were many. <laughs> he served as a great mentor to me, and he also did one, one piece, of, I think the one thing that no one else did for me. Uh, when I told him that I felt the calling to be a pastor, um, he sat with me and he said, okay, but I need you to know something. There's not a very good job market for it. And there's a chance that even if you're the greatest pastor, preacher, administrator, whatever it is, there's also a chance that you you won't get a job. So even if you go to seminary, and even if you go and you pay for yourself and you do all of that, there is a chance that you will not get a job. Now, if somebody tells you that, it kind of hurts, right? And I know it wasn't personal. He was doing me a favor. Um, but in any case, there was an experience that I had that I'll share some other day uh, where I knew that it was, it, this was God leading. And even to this morning when Kim and I talk about stuff, um, God has been moving in our lives in such amazing ways that um, if there was ever a doubt in my mind that God doesn't move, it's no longer there. And so with that in mind, I, I just want to thank Ernie for that. Um, he's played an important role in my life. He has known me since Pathfinders, um, which was a long time ago. And... Um, in any case, in any case, I, I want to begin by asking a question this morning. Is it just me, or does this happen to you too, that the people that we take for granted the most are the people we're supposed to love the most? Has, have you ever experienced that in your life? Even though you don't mean to take people for granted, the ones we take for granted the most are the people that are closest to us, our friends, our family, our wives, our husbands, our children. Sometimes I think we do that without knowing. So yesterday, Kim and I, we were visiting, we were visiting a couple. And this couple doesn't necessarily have um, the picture-perfect life. But we were there, and she, she's known them for a very long time. I've just recently become friends with them. But when we go over there, that's Kim's show, okay? So she's there, she's visiting, and, and I'm there, and I talk... I talked to the husband because he's usually off doing his own thing, and so I joke with him. And you know, well, yesterday we were there, and um, I hadn't finished the PowerPoint for today, and so I had my computer with me. I was sitting in the living room, and I went. I grabbed my laptop to start cutting and pasting stuff. You know, thinking to myself, "Oh, they're not going to mind." This sounds rude, but it's not really that bad. They're not going to mind. They're doing their own thing. When I realized, <laughs> you're talking about salt this morning and yet you are being something other than that. I, I was isolating myself from the people we went to see, and they probably didn't mind if I was on my computer. They understand that today I was going to stand up and I was going to deliver a sermon. And they love us. They're great. But I had to remind myself, you'll do this when you get home, even if you get home at midnight. Because what you're about to preach about, you are not living and so I put it away, and we, had it, we enjoyed the rest of our time, and Kim can vouch for me that I, I, I did. I did try to do that, um, and we had a good time. And as we drove home, I told her, 
sometimes as pastors, it's in our head what we have to preach, but it's not always in our hands when we actually have to live it out. So when I preach up here, understand that these sermons are not just for you, but they're a hundred times more for me. Because the moment that you see pastors not living up to his thing, you might be tempted to whisper to somebody. And that's okay, because that's what keeps a community accountable. We must keep each other accountable. We are, we are no longer strangers. We are now friends. We are family. We are journeying together, and God has brought us here so that we may do that. So with that story in mind, I, wanna, I want you to open your Bibles, if you have your Bible, to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And of course, the, um, the slides will have the, the text, but I kind of like hearing the pages turning, so... There's always something special about... I, I know there's nothing magical or holy about the book itself, right? But there's always something that moves me when we open it and read it together. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says this. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost, has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So, just in case you don't know what salt looks like, I thought that I would bring a prop. You are the salt of the earth. You are not just salt, but you are the salt of the earth. Now, when we think about this, we think, well, salt. Salt is what we use when we're cooking, right? I don't know if it's used in baking, but I know that when you're cooking, you use salt because it makes the food taste better. Salt serves a purpose. Salt doesn't just exist for itself. Like, we don't just buy salt and leave it in a container like this. The hope is that if uh, we have salt, that over the days and weeks it would diminish because it shows that we're actually making some food, right? Salt doesn't just exist as a, like, like something in and it of itself. It's not a work of art that we just leave there. Although sometimes, have you ever noticed there's always some weird stuff in salt? No? I worked at Olive Garden one time for a couple of years, and <laughs> there was always weird nastiness in there, like rice or little bugs. We clean them out. I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, Olive Garden. <laughs> I don't, they weren't dirty. I'm just saying, like, every once in a while, you get my drift. Salt doesn't just exist for itself. And we're not actually talking about salt that is in a bowl. If you've been with us, if you've been a part of a church at any point in time, you realize that whenever Jesus says stuff, there is always these deeply spiritual applications that come with what Jesus is saying. Jesus takes what we can see, and he says there is something more to this. Jesus was a, was a wizard storyteller. He used metaphors all of the time. And at this point, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of everything that is around you. Salt is supposed to season things. Salt doesn't just exist for itself. If you've ever made a pot of beans, or tried to, you know that if you don't put salt in the beans, what happens? Your husband won't eat them, or your wife won't eat them if you're the cook at home. I don't know. No one will eat the beans because they are gross, and they will rot, and you will throw them away because they don't taste good. Now, take this application, for instance. Think of the world, or think of each one of you as a bean. Don't, don't, don't read too much into that, but <laughs> if the world is a pot of beans... And God says that you are the salt. What is your purpose? To season, enrich, give flavor to the world that is around you. 
So the question that we have to ask this morning is, are you salt to the people that are around you? Or do you taste more like wasabi? Do you know what that is? It's a horseradish, Japanese horseradish. And I eat, you have to an acquire a taste for it. The very first time, you can read in the pastor's page, the very first time I had it, my friends were like, yeah, just go ahead, pile it on, the, on your California roll. And I didn't know what it was, and I took a bite, and I had a physical reaction inside of myself that I, it, was, it was that strong. But the question you have to ask yourself is, are you salt? Do people want you around? How do you speak to your wife or your husband? How do you treat your parents? Parents, how do you treat your children? How do you treat your coworkers? How do you treat your church family? Are you salt? Or do when people see you coming, do they run away because they say, we don't want any part of that wasabi? It's bitter, it's painful, it's draining. Which one are you? Are you salt or are you something bitter? And so number one, if you take notes, and I was supposed to have something to hand out, but I don't have it. Salt serves a purpose. Salt does not exist for itself. Can we agree on that? Salt serves a purpose. And we realize right now that salt serves a purpose of seasoning and giving flavor and doing something wonderful. Number two, salt enhances taste. Salt enhances taste. It enhances food. I skipped over that a little bit. We are the season-enhancing agent that God has placed in this world. But here's the next part. But if it has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Does anybody have an answer for that? If something loses its taste, can, can salt be salty again once it's been salted? I mean, unsalted? <laughs> that, that's a tongue twister. Jesus says, if salt loses its saltiness, can it be restored? Is there any way for it to be restored? Now, Jesus... The way Jesus teaches is, is one of the ways I try to teach. And the thing is that Jesus asks questions. If you look in the scriptures and if you ever spend any time reading the Gospels, what you will find is that Jesus consistently asks questions. And here it's no different. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't answer it. Jesus doesn't answer this question. He just asks, if the salt has lost its saltiness, how can its saltiness be restored? If the salt is no longer it, 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 the salt is no longer good for anything except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. What do we call the thing that we trample under people's feet? Like what, what do we walk on? Dirt. Here's another illustration. Dirt. Here's a question. As a follower of Jesus, you've been called to be salt. But over the years have you just become dirt? Now, Jesus doesn't answer this question. He just leaves it open-ended. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, if once you've lost your saltiness, you no longer can be salty again. Because what you become is just the stuff that we walk on. Or in this case, the beach volleyball at the Chapman University dorm rooms. That's where I got it. It just becomes dirt. Now, I have a theory, and I have a suggestion, because I think that all of us lose our saltiness at one point or another. I think at one point in our lives, some points in our lives, we lose the vigor, we lose the passion, we lose that fire that's burning within us that we want to demonstrate the love of Christ in us. Now, Jesus doesn't give us an answer, how can salt regain its saltiness? He just says, no, you don't. I would have to, and 
boss, <laughs> I would have to say that the only way that salt can gain its saltiness back is if we were to pour this entire bowl of salt into the, into the dirt that has lost its saltiness. It may not be as pure or good, but none of you are. As a community of faith, as a church, as a people who gather, some of us are saltier than others. Sometimes we need other people's saltiness to help and season us. That's why it's important that we journey together. This little liturgy that that, um, Elder Furness gave us says that we are to open our doors to the community. I would say that instead of opening our doors to the community, I I would use the metaphor that let's close the doors and let us go outside of them and be the salt in Orange, California. That is the only way that we can be true enhancers of the world that is around us. The only way that you and I can be salt is if we close the doors and say, we will be the church everywhere outside of it. Now, obviously, as a metaphor, I'm not closing the church because I just got here, or and I have no plans of closing the church. But do you get what I'm trying to say? The only way salt does its work isn't if it sits in a bowl or if it sits in a building but if it's poured out and emptied so that something else, say dirt, is salty again. God has called you and I to be his hands and feet in this world. God has called you and I to be the aroma of Christ all around us. And number three, salt, if it is no longer salty, if it, is no, long, if it no longer serves its purpose, is what? Just dirt. Just dirt. Those are Jesus' words. And let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, just a few verses before, because this actually gives us a very good indication of why Jesus is saying that we are the salt of the earth. So if you'll see with me, it says, Blessed are you, this is Jesus speaking, Whoa. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you and falsely, against you and falsely on your account. So what does it say? It says, Blessed are you. Why is that? When somebody curses you, when somebody does something against you that hurts you, that breaks your spirits, when somebody gossips about you, is it really easy for you to want to bless them back? No. What do we normally do? Well, I don't know what you normally do, but I tend to just kind of isolate myself from that person and I protect myself because I don't want to get hurt again. But see, before Jesus says you are the salt, he says, blessed are you if you are persecuted. And all kinds of evil is set against you. And then he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, the words before you are salt, he says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted. To be salt is to be salt even when it's not convenient. Even when it's hard. Even when you have been hurt even when you deserve to retaliate and have revenge, even when you feel like you deserve to get back at that person for what they said or what they did. I know what it feels like to be hurt by the people who are supposed to care the most about you. And I've always had the choice to be salt or to be wasabi. I always had the choice to be salt or dirt. It's difficult when we have to choose salt because we must bless those who in all sense of the word don't deserve it from us. 
You are the salt of the earth. You are the way God chooses to live himself in this world. The church is called the body of Christ. You and I are putting flesh, hands, and feet to the message of Jesus. The Bible will only go so far, so you can read it to somebody, but they're not necessarily going to be convinced of it. Or you can live it out. This week in our men's ministry group, we talked about what, is it, what does it really mean to understand what the scriptures are saying? What does it mean to be a man of integrity? And it came down to this. It's not just about hearing what the word, what the scriptures say. It's about actually living them out in your life. That is what God is calling us. And that's just not a message for men, but it's a message for women as well. And so we go on. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This is Paul. He says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Paul is making a point. He is reminding himself, his fellow believers, and us. We are the fragrance of God. And the next slide. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Paul like, likes to ask questions too. We are the aroma of Christ. You are the aroma of Christ. The question we have to ask is, what is the fragrance that you are letting off? What smell are you giving off? Are you giving off the smell of Christ and Christ crucified? And are you allowing people to see that, you are, that God is truly loving and wonderful, open, inclusive, forgiving, and full of grace? Or do you portray the other side of the coin where God is judgmental, where God is angry, where God is waiting for you to mess up so he can record all of these sins? Which picture of God are you showing? Are you showing salt where God is a blessing? Or are you showing dirt where perhaps God is just judge and no grace? And what does Paul ask? Who is sufficient for these things? Who can do this? Who can truly live out the message? That, like Who can really do what God is asking us to? Paul himself realizes, I can't do it myself. It's hard. Paul says, I don't do the things that I want to do. Which I can echo that sometimes. I don't always do what I want to. And I don't always do what I, wait, what? I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. Paul recognizes this in himself. He says, it's hard for me to be salt. It's hard for me to be a blessing. It's hard for me to be the salt, the flavor-inducing thing in this world. It's hard for me, too. Who is up to such a task? Now, one of the ways that I want to show this to you, very practical application this morning, okay? Coming from a book you're not expecting uh, in the Bible. If we look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 4, there's a little text that is hidden that probably we read past and don't think much about, but it stopped me in my tracks. There's a man, and he's the owner of fields, and he has a lot of money, and so he comes to his field one day, and this is how he greets his workers. Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reaper, the Lord be with you. Now, that was a very common way for a religious person to say hello. We say, what do we say here all the time? Happy Sabbath, God bless, whatever, that kind of stuff, right? In these days, they would, he would come and say, the Lord 
be with you. Now, that's common. When we read it in the Bible, we're like, yeah, those people were different. That's how they did things. But he came to his employees. He came to the people that were working, and he says, the Lord be with you. And how did they respond? The Lord bless you. Now, this may not be a huge thing to you, but how you speak to people actually matters. How you talk to people actually matters. So, Kim and I, sometimes we talk. And sometimes we disagree about the color of, I don't know, I don't know. We don't like all of the same things. And we don't, we're not yellers, we don't argue like that. But every once in a while she'll say, it's how you say it. <laughs> and I'm like, I wasn't even raising my voice, <laughs> you know? I was speaking normally. She says, but no, but there's a tone. How you speak to people, husbands and wives, children and parents, boyfriends and girlfriends and friends. How you speak to one another actually matters. What you say to people actually matters. This isn't just about a greeting. This is about will I treat others with love and respect, with kindness and generosity? Will my words be like honey or will they be like a bitter herb? It matters. But what we tend to do sometimes is we hurt the people that we're supposed to love the most. And Jesus says, you are salt. Paul says, you are the aroma of Christ. What is the smell you're giving off? What do you smell like to the world? You have to understand this. And I'm going to be wrapping up pretty close, pretty quickly. You have to understand that people will make judgments about God and Jesus based on how they see you live. People will make judgments about God based on how you speak to people, how you treat people, what you do with the time that you have, how people make judgments about God. And they will say something like this, if I know so-and-so, and if he believes in God, I don't want any part in that because of how he lives his life. And I'm not just talking about diet. I'm talking about how we treat other people. People don't normally see how we eat. People see how we treat one another. And so you have to make a decision in your life. And maybe today is the day that you make that decision. Will you be salt? Will you be like Boaz who will treat people with kindness and respect, even the very people that he doesn't have to? Or will you be like dirt, like wasabi? No one likes dirt, I guess unless when we're kids and we build sandcastles. Are you salt or are you dirt? Are you a blessing or are you a curse? Are you made in the image of God or do you try to distort that every possible way so that people will not see that? See, whether you want to or not, you were made in the image of God. You were made to induce the flavor in this life for everyone else. We don't know when we will breathe our last breath. All we have control and power over is what we will do with the time that we are given. I look forward to the time where we can enter into the time and space and place where there will be no more, no more crying, no more tears, no more suffering. I look forward to that day. But you have the power and you have been called to live as though that time is already here. 
Being a believer in Jesus doesn't mean that now we just wait until the spaceship takes us away. Understand the metaphor? (laughs) We're not just waiting for that day and then things will be better. We are charged. We are called. God, God, in essence, requires that we live as though that's true already. We are the representatives of God on this earth today. And you are representing and reflecting a picture of God to the people that are around you. The question you have to ask yourself is, what is that picture of God? And I'll end with this. We think evangelism is what we do for five weeks, four nights a week, where we preach about Daniel and Revelation. We think that that's evangelism. But the truth is, that's just teaching. That's just a sermon. Those are just words on a slide. Those are just pictures. Real evangelism, real good news is, are you living the good news of God that he has saved you, that he has forgiven you, that he has loved you with your sin and all? Real evangelism is living your life in a way that you are salt to everybody around you. That is what people will see. Look at the statistics. We can spend thousands of dollars to send out flyers, but how many people come? I think it's what? It's not even 10%. It's like 1% of all the flyers we send out, a person will come in. But you are already invested in the lives of people that are around you who may not know Jesus. My prayer for the Orange Church is that we would not be salt in a building because it would just look like this. And over time, when salt is left inside of a jar, it starts to look more like this, doesn't it? Have you guys ever noticed that? Salt gets kind of dirty after a while. What we must do is season. And I'll show you this metaphor. What we must do, sorry, Kim, she was going to use this for cooking, she said. What we were going to do, what, what we must do is when enough salt crosses into the dirt, you tend not to see the dirt. Because that's what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to not just mix with it, but change it in such a way that it's no longer what it was. Beans, when they are given salt, are no longer just beans. They are a delicious meal. That is what God is calling us to do. We are called to be his image in this world. And my prayer is that if you'll let me, we will be the salt to orange and we will do whatever it takes to make this community not just a better community but one where blessing pours out of this building that is my prayer will you bow your heads with me oh heavenly we are um, we know now that every time we look at a salt shaker or salt in a box that that is who you are calling us to be God, we all have comfort zones. We all have boundaries where we are safe. My prayer is that you would pour us out into the world that is around us so that we would show the world who you are and how good and gracious you are and how loving you are. And God, help us where we have forgotten what it means that you have forgiven us. Remind us so that we would know what we're teaching. Remind us so that we would live with a new spring in our step. Remind us so that we would learn to live the life that you're calling each one of us to live. God, we are thankful for your forgiveness, for without that we know we are nothing. 
And now we pray, Lord, that we too would be forgiving. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.